0: Hey, everybody, it is Tuesday, November 7th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Oshmanunu. And
1: I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And uh, Jill is headed out and about today because it's election day.
1: (laughs) I am. I'm going to be uh, working for Newsday TV, as I sometimes do. I freelance for them. And especially on election nights, I'm going to be at the Nassau County Republican headquarters as the results start to come in. I love an election night, and I think you do too, Moshe. I, I think oh. there's something maybe wrong with both of us <laughs> that we really
0: enjoy well, it. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know there's anything wrong. I think the thing about it is there's so much that we already know in news we can anticipate is going to happen, and there is something special about going into a story, and, I mean, sometimes you know what's going to happen. But in some cases, you're completely surprised. And like, you know, I'm a big advocate and fan of our democracy here and the fact that people get to choose who their leaders are. And elections give you an indication of how people are feeling about things, though I know in in New York and around the country, there's a couple bigger ones we'll get into a little bit later in the pod. But this is going to be mainly what local races that you'll be covering.
1: Yes, on Long Island, it's mostly the county legislature and some town boards and town supervisors. But look, as we've said here on the podcast before, unless you're in the military and in certain specific cases, it is your local government that has a bigger impact on your life than the federal government.
0: We focus so much on the president and Congress, but ultimately a lot of us dictated, you know, your potholes getting filled, your local schools. This is done at a local level. And the turnout always isn't great. So check it out as you listen to this pod this morning. If you have an election, you might be surprised in your state. We'll get into details on some of the races we're watching. But make sure to get out there and vote. These races matter.
1: All right, Mosh, let's get to some headlines here. Donald Trump has his day in court testifying in his New York civil fraud trial. To the Middle East, Israeli troops set to enter Gaza City, the Hamas stronghold in the Gaza Strip. We're going to take a look at the situation on the ground. As we were just mentioning back here in the United States, there are plenty of election day races that have some big national implications. Joe Biden, a.k.a. Amtrak Joe, visits Delaware. He's promoting $16 billion for passenger rail projects. We'll tell you about them.
0: Yeah, we'll tell you what that $16 billion will get you.
1: And some new research on how to live longer. And Mosh, it all has to do with your heart health. Plus, meet Gannett's new Taylor Swift reporter. Who is he and what exactly is his job?
0: Jill, did you apply for this?
1: (laughs) I don't know if I would tell you even if I did, but no, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) And an update on a couple of our favorite TV shows and new seasons. Plus, Moshe is on the Stay in History.
0: Someone once wrote, Jill, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? That's your clue today for On This Day in History. They paved paradise, put up a parking lot.
1: Oh, Joni Mitchell, I know who you're referring to. And I also do appreciate the Counting Crows remix or or the way that they use that.
0: Yeah, we have a little Joni Mitchell, a left ER, and a little Will Ferrell for you in On This Day in History.
1: All right, former President Trump defending his wealth and business on Monday, getting into it from the witness stand with the judge overseeing his civil fraud trial. He again denounced this lawsuit, accusing him of dramatically inflating his net worth as a, quote, political witch hunt. Trump's long awaited testimony about property valuations and financial statements included personal jabs at a judge he said was biased against him and at the state attorney general whom he said was a, quote, political hack. Trump proudly boasted his real estate business. He said, I am worth billions of dollars more than the financial statements. He also disputed claims that he had deceived banks and insurers. Trump's testimony got off to a contentious start on Monday. The state judge, Arthur Angoran, admonishing him to keep his answers concise And reminding him that, quote, this is not a political rally. At one point, the judge exasperated, said, we don't have time to waste. At a different point, he turned to Trump's attorney and said, I beseech you to control him if you can. If you can't, I will.
0: (laughs) It was quite a day in court based on the reporters who were there, Jill, but we don't have any video of these exchanges.
1: A reminder, this fraud case does not carry the prospect of prison time like a criminal prosecution would. Its allegations of financial improprieties, though, cut to the heart of the Trump brand that Donald Trump spent decades crafting. So the suggestion that his worth is less than he has claimed has been interpreted by him as an insult. He said on Monday, you go around and try and demean me and try and hurt me, probably for political reasons.
0: So this wasn't the first time things have gotten tense in that courtroom. I mean, frankly, it's a daily occurrence between this judge and Trump. Uh, the judge has already fined him $15,000 for outside of court comments. And so this tension was evident throughout the day on Monday. Uh, the judge, by the way, has already determined in an earlier ruling that Trump committed fraud in New York State while building this real estate empire. So ultimately here, it's a matter of what the punishment is and you know whether he's convinced that this is just run-of-the-mill or particularly egregious. Question, though, whether these tactics in court are helping Trump in any case. This is not a jury trial, by the way. The judge, he himself, and Goran will be the one deciding this case. It's a bench trial. Now, Trump's testimony on Monday already follows his sons, Don Jr. and Eric, uh, who testified last week. Uh, They've all been trying to downplay their direct involvement in preparing and assessing financial statements that are accused of being grossly inflated and fraudulent. You know, basically, try to lay blame on the accountants, etc. Along with a side of everybody does this. Keep in mind, the punishment, potential punishment here, is two hundred and fifty million dollars and a ban on doing business in New York State, which could be significant. Jill, we should note, uh, and we're posting something on Instagram about this. There are other New York real estate developers, by the way, some who like Trump, some who loathe him, who say that there's always been a bit of embellishment when it comes to brokers, banks, their property values. According to one developer who tells the New York Post, the real estate board of New York's annual party, which is the equivalent of the Vandy Fair Oscar party, has sometimes been dubbed the liar's ball (laughs) for the inflated values. And so Trump appears to be being prosecuted for something that is pretty commonplace. That said, he's being prosecuted for it. And there are laws here. And losing properties in New York this fine. Uh, Not being able to do business is no joke. So even if the excuse is everybody does it, but you're being prosecuted for it, the law is the law. So that's just something to keep in mind here.
1: Moshe, I'm glad you brought that up, um, because as we look at Trump in the polls, which we have mentioned, his popularity has actually gone up because of this. Yeah, And there is a feeling amongst people, even those I think who don't like him, that he is being prosecuted for something that if he wasn't Donald Trump and he was not in politics, that he would not have been prosecuted for.
0: Right. At the same time, there are analysts who say, listen, he overvalued his penthouse by three times, an overvaluation of up to $200 million. Uh, So some people are saying, listen, there's always fudge factor. (laughs) He took it to the next level uh, when it comes to beyond the pale puffery. So, you know, I think that. (laughs) There's a certain acceptance here, but, you know.
1: Mo uh, News has more readers than the New York Times. I don't know if you've heard that, but
0: <laughs> right. that's if we our said story
1: that, and we're sticking to yeah. it.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, you know, beyond the pale puffery. And I think that's the issue here. We'll see. But it doesn't look great based on the exchanges in court on Monday.
1: All right, now to the Middle East, where the Israelis say they have now split Gaza into two with a focus on the five mile by nine mile northern area, Gaza City. What they say is effectively the headquarters for Hamas. Casualties are likely to rise sharply as the war turns to close urban combat. Israeli media is reporting that troops are expected to enter Gaza City soon and Palestinian militants who have had years to prepare are likely to fight street by street, launching ambushes from a vast network of hundreds of miles of underground tunnels. This war has quickly become the deadliest Israeli-Palestinian violence since Israel's establishment 75 years ago. With no end in sight here, as Israel vows to remove Hamas from power and crush its military capabilities, about 75% of civilians have evacuated But several hundred thousand civilians are believed to remain in the north assault path. The Israeli military says that a one way corridor for residents of Gaza City and the surrounding areas to flee south is still available. But many are afraid to use the route under threat from Hamas not to leave, worried about Israelis securing the route or just. Simply unable to get out, it's anywhere from a one mile to a 10 mile journey uh, for most people, depending on exactly where they are. On Monday, the death toll in Gaza surpassed 10,000, according to the Gaza Health Ministry, which again is basically Hamas. More than 25,000 people have reportedly been injured. There are no numbers from Hamas on how they break down the deaths in terms of combatants versus civilians, but outside aid groups do note that the toll includes thousands of civilians. The IDF believes heavy overnight strikes in the northern Gaza Strip caused significant damage to underground and above ground infrastructure belonging to Hamas.
0: Yeah, the latest uh, blackout was about 15 hours in Gaza during the operation. You've seen a couple of these during the uh, month-long war so far, where they knock out all wireless services and then they come back after an operation is done. The Israeli military says it was carrying out what it calls widespread strikes on terror infrastructure. Uh, Hamas called it intense bombings. The IDF says it has killed now more than a dozen Hamas field commanders. These are the senior leadership of the group. at a battalion and brigade level, as well as a couple thousand of the terror group's fighters. The Israelis believe that these heavy overnight strikes in northern Gaza Strip have caused significant damage uh, to the infrastructure, but there's a lot to go here. Jill, as the Israelis continue, this assault uh, continues, as you mentioned, to take a toll on the civilians of Gaza, those who haven't been able or chosen not to evacuate As well as, in some cases, some of these UN camps uh, where people have evacuated, but there are uh, terror targets inside. Israel insists it's trying to be very strategic here and trying to ID Hamas and make uh, decision by decision here on where to strike. The U.S. has backed up, for the most part, Israel's ability to target here, saying that Israel is trying to avoid civilian casualties. One of the challenges they face here, by the way above ground, is Hamas fighters, most of them, do not wear uniforms. They dress as civilians, making it very difficult for Israeli soldiers to be distinguishing things in an urban uh, setting like this. Oftentimes, the strategy in those settings is shoot first, ask questions later. It does come as the head of the UN on Monday, Guterres, uh, warned that Gaza is, quote, becoming a graveyard for children. Nearly half of the residents of Gaza are under the age of 18, according to the numbers uh, you noted, several thousand have died so far in the war. And it comes as doctors and nurses in Gaza's hospitals are dealing with a lack of ventilators, a lack of ability to deal with resuscitating people, having to choose who gets medical treatment and who doesn't, just a a humanitarian disaster there. We did learn in the last 24 hours, the Jordanian Air Force did drop some aid into Gaza. They had the permission of uh, Israel to fly over and do that um, as more aid now comes in via the Egyptian border there in Gaza.
1: It's also incredibly tragic and so incredibly complicated. I know that you posted on the Instagram account today some journalists were embedded with the IDF and they were able to get a firsthand look at some of these rocket launchers that were literally next to residential buildings, schools. One of them was in a facility where they have Boy Scouts.
0: Yeah, I mean, and they found wiring through mosques. The Israelis have put out new photos, by the way, showing the entrance to terror tunnels under hospitals, additional hospitals here, you know, making the challenge really difficult. You know, we were showing some of the coverage from human rights lawyers and, you know, legal experts who are trying to determine whether laws are being broken here. And it does pose a really difficult challenge for the Israelis who want to be able to, A, try to find the hostages, B, target Hamas. But they're doing it, you know, a lot of this Hamas infrastructure is within civilian infrastructure, which makes the task really challenging. One would say impossible.
1: And Moshe, we posted as well on the Instagram, this really interesting bio of the head of Hamas in Gaza, Yahya Sinwar. He is the guy who's basically the brainchild of the October 7th attacks. What have we learned about him and why he started this war?
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating because Basically, you know, it was his decision to go ahead with, you know, this assault, which, you know, any observer, Palestinian-Israeli would tell you, he knew what the result would be, a massive war, destruction in Gaza, thousands of deaths. Well, he started with the group years ago, and one of his first roles was to deal with any internal terrorists who he thought or who were cooperating with the Israelis. I'll spare you the details, but he would uh, engage in some graphic and psychopathic Behavior in dealing with them, and he in fact touted it as he was being held in an Israeli prison for years. While he was in Israeli prison, uh, he had a brain growth, a brain tumor that Israeli surgeons actually removed, uh, essentially saving his life. And he was held in an Israeli prison until 2011. He was then involved in the uh, infamous exchange where Israel turned over more than a thousand Hamas fighters in exchange for one living Israeli hostage, an Israeli soldier by the name of Gilad Shalit. So Sinwar goes back to Gaza out of prison. By the way, during the time in prison, he learned Hebrew, studied Israeli history. A really interesting character here. He then puts on a suit, takes off his soldier's uniform, pretends to effectively be diplomat for his people, takes full control of Gaza, and uh, in recent years has essentially been trying to negotiate for more jobs permits for Gazans, essentially lulling the Israelis into thinking like maybe Sinwar here wants to be a real leader, be a real diplomat. All the while, we now know, planning this massive October 7th attack. And the people who know him, according to the Financial Times, aren't surprised. They say he doesn't care um, that war is the objective. Destroying Israel is the objective here. And he's willing to, you know, risk thousands plus lives here, kill a whole bunch of people as part of his, you know, larger goal. The Israelis feel like they completely misread him here. Huge intelligence failure. But, you know, I think it's important to know some of the people behind these actions, because, of course, you know, in many cases around the world, some of the things that you see, literally, they're happening because of a handful of people. All right, we have a lot more news to get to. And promise it gets a little more uplifting from here.
1: (laughs) Promise? We promise. We promise. We'll
0: we'll be talking Taylor Swift in just a couple of minutes. Uh, But first, a word from a couple of our sponsors. First, Bowl and Branch Sheets. The holidays are here, believe it or not. Everyone's in gifting mode. But most people are forgetting one very special thing. Treating Yourself this season. Now, you could give Bull and Branch sheets as a gift to somebody else, or you could give it to yourself. Giving yourself a better night's sleep in the softest, most of the luxurious sheets, care of Bull and Branch, that is B O L L and Branch. We first got them a year ago. Uh, they're big in our household. Uh, Jill, I know in yours as well. We love our Bolin Branch sheets. They are made differently. Rare. organic cotton, free of toxins, synthetic pesticides, harsh chemicals. They're good for everyone, especially if you have sensitive skin. And best of all, right now, they are also providing a signature gift box. If you order their signature sheets, they come wrapped in a beautiful holiday gift box. It'll make the holiday season even more special. Hell, you give yourself that gift, give yourself a gift box, it'll feel all the more special. So what's the deal here? Well, 25% 25% off right now. Your first order of Bowl and Branch is the best offer of the entire year. You can head over to bullandbranch.com. That is B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONews. What else? Bullandbranch.com, promo code MONews. Exclusions do apply. So see the site for details.
1: All right. And if you are a longtime listener of this podcast, you know that we've been drinking AG1 for months now.
0: Every morning, Jill.
1: Yeah. When I started to drink AG1 every day, I definitely felt a difference in my energy. And especially with two youngins running around, I could use all the help that I can get. And that is because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement. It supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. We recommend AG1 to family and friends. There are a team of doctors and scientists that have tested it For 950 contaminants, it is NSF certified for sport and formulated based on the latest science. Moshe, I have one friend who says it's like his insurance policy for the day. He knows that if he drinks AG1 in the morning, he's good to go. No matter what else he eats or drinks, at least he knows that he got all the nutrients that he really needs in his day. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it does start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D. And five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash news. That is drinkag1.com slash news. Check it out. Time now for the speed read from Slate. Today is Election Day in America. While off-year elections in odd-numbered years suck up much less media oxygen than midterm or presidential years, And largely for good reason. Only a handful of states hold regular elections on this cycle. Most of them are strongholds for Democrats or Republicans, making it challenging to assess any meaning in the results. But there are always a few races with national attention and perhaps national implications at stake are two southern governorships control of the Virginia General Assembly, and abortion access in Ohio. Here are a couple more that we're watching in Kentucky today. Governor Andy Bashir, a Democrat, seeking to again defy convention in deep red Kentucky, a state carried handily by Donald Trump in 2020. He is facing Daniel Cameron, Kentucky's attorney general, who was propelled to victory by an early endorsement from Trump in a competitive Republican primary back in May. In 2019, Cameron became the first black person to be elected as Kentucky's attorney general. In the 2019 governor's race, Bashir ousted Matt Bevin, a Trump-backed Republican, by fewer than 6,000 votes. This year, he enters the race with a strong job approval rating. So it is set to be close again.
0: Yeah, we've been talking about Kentucky because, of course, the mass shooting there uh, this year, how they've been trying to negotiate with a heavily Republican legislature and him as a Democratic governor. So we're going to watch what happens there. Uh, Meanwhile, in Mississippi, we're watching another governor's race. It has been more than two decades since they had a Democratic governor. Governor Tate Reeves, a Republican, is seeking to avoid being uh, the person who ends that streak. But Reeves's job approval numbers are among the lowest in the country that has emboldened Democrats to think they might have a shot. Uh, keep in mind, it is also the state with the highest percentage of black voters in the country. If they all came out uh, for Democrat governor, there's thought that a Dem could actually win. The challenger in Mississippi, Brandon Presley, a public service commissioner, if that last name rings familiar, Presley's second cousin once removed, Elvis Presley. Uh, the native of Tupelo, Mississippi. So we'll be watching that. And uh, Jill, also in Ohio, there's an abortion measure on the ballot. Pro-abortion rights supporters, pro-choicers, succeeded in placing a proposed amendment on the ballot that would enshrine the right to abortion access in the state. Anti-abortion rights groups, pro-life groups, have been mounting a sweeping campaign to stop the measure. So we're going to watch that tonight.
1: And in Virginia, Democrats narrowly controlled the Virginia Senate last time, where all 40 seats are up for grabs in this election. Republicans hold a slim majority in the House of Delegates, which is also being contested. Republicans are hoping to take control of all parts of state government. The outcome of the election is being viewed as a potential reflection of the clout of Governor Glenn Youngkin, also a Republican who has national ambitions and most just one of the things about all of these elections, on especially on these off years, they are determined in some cases by a handful of votes. I remember one election that I was covering on Long Island for a county executive, which is a huge position. I mean, these mm-hmm. there's more than a million people that live in these counties. It was it had to go to a recount, but it was decided by, I think, like 400 votes, which really means every single vote matters.
0: Yeah. Get out there and vote, folks. Jill, I'm going to be doing the pod solo tomorrow because you're out and about tonight. What is happening in New York that we should be watching out for?
1: Okay, so it's an off year election, as we mentioned. The local legislature up for grabs, as are some of the town boards and the town supervisor positions. But Long Island has had a red wave recently. If you remember in the midterms, there was this thinking that there was going to be this massive red wave across the country, that the House was going to go Republican, which it did, but like really Republican, uh, which it did not. They have a very slim majority. They picked up a couple of seats.
0: Yeah. And and in fact, the reason why the House is Republican is because Republicans swung a handful of seats including <clears throat> George Santos uh, in New York. Uh, and so New York was significant. Correct. So what is
1: fascinating to see is, is a place like Nassau County, where I live, there's about 100,000 more registered Democrats than there are Republicans, but it still went Republican in most of the races last year and the year prior. And I interviewed the head of the Nassau County Republican Party here, and he said he attributes that in, in part, to two issues, crime and taxes. Those are the issues that a lot of Long Islanders care about and, and a lot of Americans care about. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens on Long Island in particular tonight in this election. And is that going to be kind of like a barometer for the rest of the country? And is this going to be something that we see in 2024?
0: As goes Long Island, as goes America. <laughs> We're going to find out. <laughs> said no one ever. But there might be lessons to take away. We'll discuss them in the, in the coming pods.
1: All right. From ABC News, President Biden, arguably the nation's biggest Amtrak fan, visited a train maintenance shop in his home state of Delaware on Monday to showcase more than $16 billion in federal investments for all rail travel along the busy Northeast Corridor. He said of long-delayed improvements, We are finally getting it done. The president highlighted spending to modernize 25 passenger train projects between Boston and Washington. At an event in Bayer that is about 12 miles from Biden's home in Wilmington, Amtrak runs about 800,000 trips a day on its northeast corridor, which makes it the nation's busiest rail corridor. The funding for the rail improvements comes from the roughly $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure law that Biden signed about two years ago, one of several legislative achievements that he is trying to tout this election season.
0: Yeah, it's a big thing for Democrats, right, that once they tell people what Biden did, because he hasn't been a very good communicator, that voters tend to come around. And so that's going to be a lot of the campaign is like, do you guys know that I did X and did Y, et cetera? As far as this Amtrak deal here, um, this $16 billion in investment, effectively, once it's all spent and done here, Jill, and by the way, these projects could take anywhere from five to 15 years to get done, they say that travel time between D.C. and New York will be cut by 30 minutes. And you'll see the same reduction between New York and Boston. So if you're somehow taking the train between Boston and D.C., you will save an hour. They also say it'll cut delays in half by improving infrastructure. Again, it's going to take a while. They're also going to modernize the Baltimore Tunnel. If you've ever taken that train into D.C., you got to slow down to a snail's pace um, in that tunnel under Baltimore. Apparently, after all this new infrastructure, travel time will be up to 110 miles per hour going through that tunnel. Just for reference, though, Jill, uh, we talk about the high speed Excel trains here in the US. If you go to China, Europe, Japan, they all have trains that go either double that speed or in some cases triple that speed. So when we're talking high speed, the Europeans and the folks in in Asia uh, will sneer at what we have here. We've never really invested in it. But it's always been a big thing for Biden, who notably, as he was senator from Delaware for decades, would take the Amtrak every week.
1: Yes, we will use that term loosely.
0: Fast. Fast (laughs) how? What do you mean by fast, Americans?
1: From CBS News, if you want to live longer, some new research shows a link between strong heart health and slower biological aging. And there are certain steps that can help you get there. The analysis uses data from 6,500 adults who participated in this survey from the National Health and Nutrition Examination. It showed that adults with high cardiovascular health were about six years younger biologically than their chronological age, according to the research. The inverse, though, was also true. For people with a lower level of heart health, they were biologically, quote, older than expected. For example, the average actual age of those with high cardiovascular health was 41, yet the average biological age was 36, and the average actual age of those who had low cardiovascular health was 53, although their average biological age was 57, according to this release, and we hope all those numbers we're good for your brain, at least you know, doing those numbers <laughs> well, keeps your brain sharp
0: <laughs> yeah, well, let me explain it. basically, if you have good heart health, if you're a forty one year old uh you have the body of a thirty six year old If you have bad heart health and you're a forty one year old you have the body of a forty seven year old capiche I'm just thinking <laughs>
1: I'm just thinking about my body at this point,
0: <laughs> Jill. What is your chronological age and what do you think your <laughs> biological age is? Before you answer that, I'll explain the American Heart Association's life's essential 8 checklist. These are the 8 things that determine your health level whether you're younger than your chronological age or not. Some of these probably pretty obvious to you. Number 1, eating better. 2, being more active. 3, quitting tobacco. 4, getting healthy sleep. 5, managing your weight. 6, controlling cholesterol. Seven, managing your blood sugar, and eight, managing your blood pressure. They say that adhering to all eight of these metrics will improve your cardiovascular health, slow down your aging, and have a lot of benefits for you down the line. Jill, how are you doing on those eight?
1: Forget, most how I'm doing on the eight. Yeah. Researchers, tell us something we don't know. I mean, how many more <laughs> studies need to come out giving Eating us better, the we'll same info? You. Like, we get it. eat well. Don't drink, don't smoke, get your eight hours of sleep. Yeah. What are we studying at this point? Um,
0: If anyone here, if anyone here is in the American Heart Association, Jill would like to have a word with
1: you. (laughs) No, I just feel like we get it. Start studying something that's a little bit different.
0: (laughs) In breaking news, quitting smoking and managing your blood sugar, keys to living longer.
1: All right, from Variety, how about this journalism job? Gannett, the biggest newspaper chain in the country, No longer has a blank space under the title of Taylor Swift reporter. The company has written in the name of Brian West. He is a 35-year-old journalist from Arizona who just moved to Nashville to fill the newly added headline-making position. Starting this week, West will be working out of the Tennesseans' newsroom for USA Today and the chain's more than 200 local dailies, reporting on all things Swift and only on all things Swift. When Gannett first announced the job search in September, it prompted a lot of soul searching and hand wringing among media types who could be found openly arguing in public forums about whether hiring a dedicated, swift reporter and also someone exclusively on the Beyonce beat was a sign of the apocalypse or whether it actually just made a lot of sense. West confirms that he is going to be out and about at CMA Awards related red carpets in Nashville as part of his first week on the job. He has met with Taylor Swift herself once backstage at the Phoenix area opening night of the Reputation Tour back in 2018.
0: Yeah, so this is what West has to say about the position, our new Taylor Swift reporter. I would say this position is no different from being a sports journalist who's a fan of the home team. He says, I just came from Phoenix, and all the anchors down there are wearing Diamondbacks gear, and they want the Diamondbacks to win. I'm just a fan of Taylor, and I followed her her whole career, and I also have that journalistic background. I went to Northwestern, won awards, worked in newsrooms across the country, and so I think that's the fun of this job. It's really more of the seriousness, the impact that she's having on society, on business and on music. Uh, Jill, we've noted this on the podcast, but she's had a multi-billion dollar uh, impact on the U.S. economy this year. So, you know, if you're making the journalistic argument that this is an important position, it's an economic position, like covering a company, there you go. But there are journalists who believe this is strictly a fanboy position, that it's an insult to serious news reporting, you know, big J journalists everywhere, especially at a time in journalism. Where you're seeing massive layoffs, hundreds of reporters lose their jobs covering serious issues, um, local news, city hall, police, crime, etc., and the fact that Gannett, the largest newspaper chain in America, is making major cuts to its newspapers, is hiring the Taylor Swift position, has led to a, a lot of debate internally.
1: The argument that you made about the ripple effects that she is having in terms of the economy and things like that—it sounds like yes, while he's going to be covering that, he as he is saying, is just a fan. So it doesn't seem yeah. like he's actually going to be doing any real Asking journalism. Not that like we're looking for some Taylor Swift scandal, but it doesn't sound like he's out there to dig into any sort of scoops on her, unless they are positive.
0: Listen, it remains to be seen. He's, it's his first week. We'll keep tabs on young Brian West uh, and how he's covering the Taylor beat, as well as the uh, full-time Beyonce reporter to come.
1: Will I be reading his reports? Yes, I will, Mosh. Yes, I will.
0: From the <laughs> Tennessee in today's Speed <laughs> Race.
1: And finally, from The Hollywood Reporter, The Bear will remain open for business. FX has renewed its hit half-hour series starring Jeremy Allen White for a third season. The Bear was a surprise success for FX when it debuted on Hulu to wide acclaim in 2022. Season one has pending Emmy nominations, including Outstanding Comedy Series, lead comedy actor, supporting comedy actor and actress, and comedy writing and directing.
0: Okay, Chef, have you watched it? I
1: haven't. I feel like I need to get on this. So
0: just for the cultural references for the zeitgeist. Theme.
1: Yes, no, and my husband actually told me it's great
0: and that I would love it. It's weird that it's in the comedy category. It's a pretty serious show. Um, of course, many people might remember Jeremy Allen White from Shameless as Lip. And so i uh, been a fan. I think I'm a season behind on Bear. Uh, meanwhile, in other streaming TV news... We learned late last week that Curb Your Enthusiasm will be premiering its 12th season in February. It's had 12 seasons over 20 years because Larry David kind of takes his time as he decides uh, when he's doing a season, if he's taking breaks, etc. HBO, or I should say Max, was asked if this will now be the final, final season of Curb. Their answer... Not our call. It's Larry's call. <laughs> He'll have to decide. Jill, just given that Cheryl Hines is married to RFK Jr. in real life and Larry set them up, I'm kind of hoping for a plot line around that uh, this season. I wonder if we'll get it.
1: Totally. Even an RFK Jr cameo because you know it's isn't the whole thing that it's not really scripted right like it, it's just sort of a rough outline of what the plot's going to
0: be this outline it's like it's like this podcast we have an outline <laughs> if we want to do um it's what it's one thing we share in common is uh <laughs> with carpe diemism is we go in with a plan and we never quite know how this show's going to go
1: and even we'll be talking pre-podcast before we start recording and we're like save it for the podcast save it for the podcast <laughs> Okay, Mosh, it's time for On This Day in History.
0: On this day, November 7th, everybody. On this day in 1874, Republican Party was first depicted as an elephant in an edition of Harper's Weekly Magazine. Of course, that follows the Democratic Party depiction as a donkey, and those depictions continue to this day. Uh, staying with politics here, on this day in 1944, FDR was elected to an unprecedented fourth term as president. He remains the only president to have served more than two terms. Of course, it was the height of World War II, and America's like, we'll give him another shift. He would only serve, though, a month uh, before dying in office. He was inaugurated in March of 45, dies in April. And then uh, his new vice president, Harry Truman, finds out about the Manhattan Project and has to finish the war in Europe, war in Japan, drop a couple nuclear bombs, figure out the post-war world. I don't think we give Harry Truman enough credit because you're like, oh, who's this guy, VP Truman out of uh, Missouri? And it was just one of, you know, FDR's latest choices. He went through several vice presidents. And of course, he would actually inherit the presidency at a very crucial time in history.
1: And most you had just reported recently and on this day that Harry Truman survived an assassination attempt unfortunately one of his secret service members was killed but that truman basically went to work the next day and was just like eh, comes with the territory <laughs> He's like, i guess this
0: is part of the job it's part of the job being president and he dealt with a lot harry truman and one more political story here on this day in 2000 the presidential election between al gore and george w bush takes place we don't know the winner for more than a month Eventually settled by the Supreme Court on December 12th, more than a month later after a bitter legal dispute. It came down to just a couple hundred votes in Florida, as we've been telling you this pod. Every vote matters. In sports news, on this day in 1991, remarkable that it's 32 years ago today, Magic Johnson stunned the sports world by announcing his immediate retirement and that he had tested positive for the then largely unknown virus HIV. He actually ended up returning to the league two more times before retiring for a final time in 96. Uh, He's now in his 60s. He's become a high-profile advocate for HIV awareness. And the medications have gotten so good that he's kept his HIV now at an undetectable level. He actually never developed AIDS out of it. Um, Jill, as I was researching this, I realized, I learned, that apparently there was a whole anthony fauci conspiracy theory that fauci gave him aids by through a, a vaccine because you know everything's a conspiracy theory uh, he said apparently that was like a COVID thing like they're like fauci gave him a hiv anyway needless to say that was not the case magic said he got it through unprotected sex but it was a huge thing in the 90s magic coming out um like that and announcing his HIV at a time where everyone really lived in fear of it.
1: I'm still <laughs> stuck on Anthony Fauci.
0: People really dislike, there's a certain portion of the population that <laughs> dislikes Anthony Fauci and they blame him for a lot of stuff, Jill. I don't know what to tell you. All right, we're going to end here with a bit of pop culture. Yeah, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? First, and let's wish Joni Mitchell a happy 80th birthday, uh, the singer, songwriter born on this day in 1943. On this day in 1987, 36 years ago today, Eric Carmen released Hungry Eyes. You might know it from the amazing Dirty Dancing soundtrack.
1: Nobody puts baby in the corner.
0: I'm just here carrying the watermelon, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> and 20 years ago today, Elf starring Will Ferrell premiered in theaters. Jill, a classic. One that I have never seen. You've never seen Elf? Okay, Michael, <laughs> we know what you're watching this weekend.
1: All right, everybody, thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store.
0: Yeah, don't uh, give us a bad review because Jill hasn't seen Elf. (laughs) She promises she'll see it. We should still get those five stars. Anyway, appreciate all of you for your support for joining Mo News Premium go check it out over at mo.news/premium we'll have a new podcast up later today on the premium podcast as well as continuing to answer your questions over on the premium Instagram account again mo.news/premium
1: okay bye everybody later thanks for listening
0: to the Mo News podcast